They've been spiking the purple Kool-Aid since October of 2012. And who wants to listen to that? Here are your hosts, Grant Tommy and Doug Rosselo. Welcome to the Audio Podcast. I'm your host, Grant Tommy. And I'm your co-host, Doug Rosselo. And the band is back together for season five. <laughs> Doug, I suckered you into, right. into one more podcast. <laughs> <laughs> one more. I've got a cold. We'll try not to cough too I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, I mean, you know, we are doing this via um, via uh, Google Hangout. So if you have some sort of hand motion you want, I can try to cut your sound on my hand <laughs> if you think a cough's coming on. <laughs> okay. But uh, we'll do. We're we're trying something new here, hoping the audio is a little bit better. I don't know why my phone. <clears throat> it's for those who have tuned into season five so far. I apologize. My phone. Uh, it, for whatever reason, kind of clips audio like at a, at a low low level, um, so I know it's been a little bit soft at times. I've tried to boost that up, but there's a lot of extra feedback. But you didn't tune in to hear about my audio problems on this podcast. Uh, you probably tuned in to hear a couple of uh, lifelong K State fans talk a little bit and reflect a little bit about, uh, of course, the biggest news of the week the past couple of days. Bill Snyder retires after 27 seasons and 30 years at K-State. And, Doug, I just, you know, it's uh, around so many beers and tailgates. Uh, you know, we, we've we talked about this day for some, some long time, and, and it's by and large probably what exactly what this program needed. But this program is nothing without Bill Snyder, and, and I – it was still a weird, weird day to finally hear that news. How how did you react Sunday when when it the end was finally here? You know, it was one of those things towards the end where we all kind of felt like maybe this was the time that he needed to retire, and then then the news broke and he retires, and uh, you just have this flow over you like, oh crap, it's real. You know, it was just. Uh, this is one of those surreal moments where you're like, we probably need it for the program to move forward. Um, but it's one of those things where we don't know winning without him. Exactly. I mean, it's, man, there's so many great stories out there right now. And if you had a chance to catch uh, Dan Youngman's Miracle in Manhattan documentary for free there when he had it open, I mean, I paid for it a year ago or whenever it first came out. But um, it just, I'll circle back around to that video here in in just a little bit but it just brought back so much you know I'm so you can kind of you can kind of throw your baseball card stats out there Doug too when I'm done but I'm 33 and uh so that puts me at I'm convinced that most people don't remember anything much earlier than age four and when it comes comes to sports I didn't quite figure out what sports really were or how to digest them until um you know, like age seven or something, but I got in at the ground floor of K-State football in the 1993 Copper Bowl. And so like literally the first like watershed moment for K-State in Bill Snyder's career, uh, you know, I was in, um, that's where I got in. But, um, 
that's where I started to take issue a little bit with there was um, that older fan base that that tried to say like, man, if you didn't know what football was before Bill Snyder, you don't have the right to comment. And that's probably a rant for later in the podcast. But you're right. The it's just so much like K State has zero football tradition without Bill Snyder. Every single good thing that happened for K State football happened under Bill Snyder. And what this man has done for the university, for the football program, the state of Kansas, even college football as a whole, his impact is is far and wide. And um, like it, this should almost be like a celebration, not as much for that we finally get to move on, but that we had this once in a lifetime person put us in position now to have a football program, a program that lasts beyond just him. And for that, I think I speak for a large number of fans. We're just indebted to this guy for that. Yeah. And really community is indebted to him. Uh, Manhattan's changed night and day. I even think um, from when we were in college, Grant, just the impact of the football program and what that's meant to the university and and how how the uh, town has grown and how the uh, culture has has really shifted in Manhattan. Yeah, so let's get into a little bit of, um, you know, I talked like my first K State football memory is the '93 Copper Bowl. Now, and of course, you have to put that into context a little bit too. You know, I probably would watch more K State football in 1993 if TV is what it was today. You know, not every game was broadcast, especially in 19, even when K-State started that rise. In 1993, I mean, I'm sure D. Scott Fritchin probably has a ledger somewhere that says uh, K-State played on television five times that season or something, you know. Um, but it's, you know, I I think for me, and I, I, I'm trying to think about my favorite Bill Snyder era memory of all time. There's so many, of course, and there's the easy ones to pluck off from 1998, 2003. Um, even I remember, you know, his first retirement, his final game against Missouri. Like, I don't think I quite ever celebrated as much for each touchdown as I did in that game. Um, but I think if I have to just pick one. I'm going to circle back around to the final home game of the 1995 season, the final Big 8 conference home game K-State ever played in, where I attended with um, this is my first K-State game I ever went to, and this is the first K-State game that one Blake Seiler attended. And our families, who uh, our parents are friends, um, actually down the road a little bit related to uh, his mom's size, mom's um it was that day that I remember, you know, I don't remember what age that puts me, like nine, him ten maybe. We both fell in love with K-State football that day. It was the crowd, the atmosphere, the the fanfare, the, you know, the band, everything that surrounded that. What Bill Snyder had done by the time 1995 rolled around. Um, and it we K-State lost in heartbreaking fashion, but I just, you could tell that... He and I both felt now we obviously went two different ways. Here I am sitting behind a microphone, and uh, we know where Blake Seiler has has risen to in the same time. But, I mean, man, there was nothing like it ever since attending that first game in person. Um, Who was it? I think Ty Detmer maybe was the quarterback. They did like a 
double pass behind the line of scrimmage trick play, which ultimately was the go-ahead touchdown. And I remember all of the obnoxious Colorado fans chanting Cotton Bowl in the visitor section. But um, if not for that day, for not that experience, um, there's no way my mom buys season tickets for the family for the 1996 season, and there's no way that I've gone to I remember counting up at the, the 200 win ep, uh, graphic that Zach Carlson did. I mean, I think I witnessed dang near close to like half of those games in person, and I owe it all to that day and to this man. That's cool. That was really cool. I wish I wish my uh, favorite moment was as cool as that, Grant. Um, uh, I'm going to go more recent. And it's going to kind of sound weird, um, but being at the game, uh, the last game of his first retirement was a really cool memory. Uh, those things that you kind of you cherish and you remember forever. Um, I wish that he would have done it the same way this, this time so that we could have that last game, um, that last home game. Vividly, it was against Missouri. We won uh, the game in close uh, with with a you know a, a linebacker interception for a touchdown. I think it was Ted Sims who, who ran it in. Uh, it might have been Brandon Archer. I can't remember. I think it was Archer. I think it was Archer. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so seeing 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 that happen, and then you know seeing the video tribute from all of the legends of of the of college football at the time, and then past players, team, uh, carry him off the field. Uh, that was a win, and one I'll cherish uh, for a long time. And uh, it's too bad we didn't get that same send off like we did um, the first time he retired. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I I definitely remember that game, and and that's I'm probably gonna go out of order here. It's really hard for me to keep the order of my notes, um, but I think it's more relevant to talk about it now. We when um, you know there became this rift in the fan base this year about it's. it's People are calling it generational, and I generally I hate anything where there's a debate about one generation versus the next. I think it's just as we get older, we'll eventually start saying something halfway derogatory about the generation below us. Like that's just what you do, like as you get older, right? So I think much of those arguments are petty, but um, because you and I were in school at that time of that first retirement in two thousand and five, like. Yeah, so he had two bad seasons back to back, but I remember at the time thinking like, "No, we'll snap out of this." Like we got this. Like it was such a shock that first retirement. Like it, it blindsided everybody. No one saw it coming. Um, like nobody, it had crossed nobody's mind even after a four and eight and a five and seven consecutive s- seasons. Whereas this go around, when we see this, the the writing on the wall from this season, and you could you could clearly see. I mean, it's been a slow decline with the football program, with certain things we've been able to s- somehow like hide. I, I called it, I made the analogy earlier, freeze the warts. Like you didn't know if they were ever going to fall off, but we froze the warts for a couple of years, you know, Dr. Scholl's like, you know, we don't know if the over the counter stuff was going to work, but it, so what I started to take issue with, with, with these other people acting like if you didn't see football from 1988 and before, if, if that got so mad at us for saying, guys, I think it's time for Snyder to retire. I was there in 2005, and I did not think that. He was 66 at the time. Like, But the difference is the guy's 79 now. 
And if you don't retire now, like, like, then what? Like, what, what more is there to accomplish? Yes, we all wished he would have gone out, you know, with a winning record or at least a, one last bowl trip. Like, there were so many things that we could have sweetened the pot with that we wished happened, but they just didn't. This was not people my age. I'm just going to, I can only speak for me. I'm 33 year, I know, a couple of years older than me, but, um, like, I'm not trying to push the guy out. It just seemed like it's time. And I just, that got so old. I just couldn't, it it was really hard. I was really hard not to bite on some of them on Twitter and things like that. I didn't want to go out looking for a fight. <laughs> I wished I could just have conversations with people like this that, look, man, it's, it was, it's, it's different this go around. And I just, I hope as fans, I hope that this, the point in time we're in right now, this, you know, few days following it, it's Tuesday after the Sunday of the retirement that we can get a little more unified than, uh, than divided that it was, it was starting to get, get at. But I'm, I don't know if you have anything to add to that, but I mean, did you, I'm just, how have you sort of managed your emotions over the past almost, I mean, it's been going on like five, six weeks with, with this like fan base kind of split. Well, you know, and, and I understand where they're coming from. I didn't grow up or, you know, I didn't witness the, the change, you know, that happened in 1988 uh, when he took over. He put in a new logo. He put in a new attitude with the team. He, uh, you know, he did a lot of, you know, amazing things. And they saw a program get built from the ground up. We kind of came in in the glory years, and we got to see it um, in the glory years and through those glory years that that all being said i uh i agree with you we we see him retire somewhat early um did even i think i think even on, on go paracats podcast marcus was shocked to find out that uh he was retiring that year you know fan base was shocked to see him see him go and and obviously something that he needed to take care of. Um, and at that time, but at this point in time, for the betterment of the program, I thought it was time for him to retire. Sorry, we had to pause there briefly for a couple technical difficulties. Again, we are sort of trying to uh, pioneer. We're trying to try a new system out. Doug lives down in Wichita. I'm up in the KC metro area, but... Um, we left off talking about, you know, it's it's this rift in the fan base. And and I wanted to go back to, you know, I lobbed out earlier in the show about Dan Youngman's Miracle in Manhattan. And the reason I wanted to touch back on that was um, watching that back, you list, you see the interviews of Snyder from the 19, or not just Snyder, but um, the athletic director whose name's uh, Skip and, or briefly I'm, I'm i'm not thinking of max or anyway they talk about how bad the facilities were and they talk about and it's night and how the ad basically just said no we'll do that you know kind of blindly but didn't know how but bill basically said no we the 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 facilities stink here and we've got to do this we got to do that we got to do this we got like he had this 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 hunger and this um, attitude about all the things that needed to be in place if they were going to be successful. Fast forward it now to 2018, you know, not just 2018, but like 2012, 13, and he's talking about 
how he didn't think they needed to upgrade veneer and he didn't need to, like all this stuff is starting to get superficial and, 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 and I think that was almost like the start of signs where we could tell like he's not, there are character traits that this is not, this is not 1989 Bill Snyder. Like this is like 180 degrees of what he came in to do and said, we needed to keep up with the Joneses. We need to have facility upgrades. And then all of a sudden, you know, 25 years later, he's saying the exact opposite and just things like that, that um, even this, this new transfer rule, you know, like there, that was kind of a big topic this year. And he said he didn't like it. And I'm like, but this, again, this is a character trait where like, that's not you, Bill. You were always all about winning in the margins. You were always about, you know, the gray shirt rules, the, the red shirt rules. Like you can have your cake and eat it too. You don't have to wait for bull prep to get real game time experience for some of these freshmen and you can still give them four years after that. Like it's just all these little things that it's just like, man, you're not, this is not like what made you so great. Why are you not doing some of these things anymore? And, and I want to also touch on, you know, my jumping in point, the 1993 copper bowl, which was again, the first, like, like I said, the first watershed moment of, of that time. That also meant that, I was hearing from my parents, my uncles, my grandparents, as we were watching this great thing unfold in front of our eyes as they de-pantsed Wyoming Cowboys on ESPN. This is uncharted territory. You, like, I knew in 1993 how bad the program historically was because we were at a brand new height. So even though I wasn't there in 1988 to see, and, and to see the Stan Parrish and all of the all the horrific coaches that tried to do things and, and fell on their faces and, um, you know, people leaving or coming into the game at the second quarter just to watch the halftime show and leaving all of that stuff just because I didn't see it doesn't mean I couldn't appreciate exactly what Bill Snyder meant for this program and what he did. Um, but it's just, yeah, I guess I've rambled on too long. I'm sorry, Doug. <laughs> kind of lost sight. But if you had anything you wanted to add to that, I needed to shut up for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I I I absolutely, I absolutely understand where you're coming from and and that's where that's where I understand again like you said we we understand and realize the pains and the struggles that the uh, K-State program had at the time even though we didn't live it went through. And I mean that like you like you mentioned before Miracle in Manhattan that video is amazing. Uh, if you didn't get to see it when it was free, um, I recommend you go out and buy it because it's it is one of those great videos where it walks you through where it came from to where it is today, and like you said, I think we talked about this uh, over the course of the season of Grant, where we were talking about you know Snyder was deemed as the innovator, the guy on the cutting edge of of bat or and you know, we we look at it this this year and we're like well this new transfer why isn't he figuring out how to take advantage of it why isn't he um seeing seeing more ladies take advantage of it and it just it was confusing to me because a man who praised even losing a bowl game the extra practices that those players experience that he talks about um freshman getting in or getting in um why didn't we see more of that happening um because experience is so valuable 
Um, so I, I think those are the types of things that me and you saw as a fan base that just we we maybe maybe it's time for him to hang up the uh, the old the old headset the headset or the Cortezes yeah and I, you know it's hard because of the technical difficulty we had there but I, I I don't want this to I don't know how balanced we are I didn't I didn't want to spend more time talking about negatives of Bill Snyder's career there's there's so much to celebrate I mean there's uh, celebration heartbreak I mean 2012 1998 um, I mean I was at the TWA dome in 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 St. Louis and as an eighth grader um, that is the longest ride back from St. Louis of my life and I've got aunts and uncles that live uh, and cousins that live in St. Louis so I've made that trip several times you know um, but I, I was curious if, if if you could pinpoint it to one thing or well not one thing but what would you consider the biggest downfall was of of why it didn't work longer I guess is what I'll ask what would you consider Coach Snyder's biggest downfall here um, as it as it came to an end I think um, I think that was the biggest thing the uh, level of talent that we were bringing in dropped off in the last few years and I think the build his old philosophy of, you know, you bring in these under-the-radar guys, um, you work them, and you get the most out of them. But on CAA has changed so many rules since he started. Uh, it's where he could get the advantage of bringing in those underdeveloped or underheralded guys and and work them and, and get them to play at a different level than what they were rated at. Um, the NCAA has come in, and you can't do you know, two-a-day practices. You can't have three-a-day practices like he did in the 80s, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, he, and that's that's really where he, he bred a lot of his success was just he brought people in that, you know, would would either or they would leave the team. Um, and those guys that stayed, they ended up being the guys that were, you know, <clears throat> the unsung hero or the 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 great players of old, um, the Mark Simino's, the, um, yeah, gosh, I wish I could. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, like the, got, the John yeah. McGraw's, the, um, you know, even mm-hmm. Lamar Chapman out of liberal, um, you know, finding, finding diamonds in the rough at the right time as well. Um, you know, this the state of Kansas isn't like the most fertile recruiting ground, but you know, you also gotta, gotta win those in-state guys when you do have like the, the stars align and you do have legitimate real talent here in the state too. Yeah. And I think, I think the, uh, the landscape is football and unfortunately we didn't see the, uh, the right changes happening Snyder. And I think that's, that's really the biggest downfall for me was the recruiting and, and his approach to the recruiting. Yeah, I think I'd second that. I think I would say, um, I would I would probably put more weight on recruiting philosophy than than recruiting itself. But obviously that they're they're related. Um, I think, and to me, if I if I had to pick something different though, I would say, I guess the biggest downfall. I mean, it's just it's literally just age. I mean, I think all of us, and it's not that's nothing he can control. Like we all have to deal with that. There's going to be something that I'm more than likely good at now 
that when I'm 79, <laughs> 40, let's see, 46 years from now, going to be as good at. And, and I think the problem is too is like we don't, you know, it's like the, um, it's like the toad in the the boiling pot of water. Like we don't necessarily notice from like month to month or year to year what what we kind of got a little less good at. But after a decade goes by, we can kind of sit back and reflect and, and put some perspective. Like, oh shoot, wow, I'm. I just can't, you know, can't swing a hammer like I used to. You know, whatever, fill in the blank, like anything, any. We just aren't always going to be able to to operate at the top of our game in everything that we once did. And and for Bill, I, I mean, I think, I think that that's that was part of the, part of the deal. You know, it's not it's nobody's fault, but it's still. One heck of a career, and you know, I I shared this on Twitter uh, day, Monday morning. You know how you wake up with songs stuck in your head. <laughs> I had stayed up late watching The Miracle Manhattan. I didn't get all the way through it before I really was like, I just need to go to bed. But I woke up Monday morning, and what was on repeat instead of a song was the quote: "the the opportunity for the greatest turnaround in college football exists here today, and it's not one to be taken lightly." And that just kept. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this, some kind of a sickness for sure. But, but Bill, I just, you're not listening. I'm not going to kid myself like you are. But for whatever reason, if somebody wanted to clip some some audio out of this podcast, I just personally wanted to tell you thanks for that that Colorado game that we suffered a defeat in 1995 at home and Colorado stole our cotton bull bid. Um, thanks. Thanks for everything. You know, but with that, with one chapter closing, K-State fans are on the cusp of a brand new chapter opening, a brand new book to be written. The next head coach search is underway. Athletic director Gene Taylor is doing his thing, if you will. And um, Doug, I kind of just want to zoom out for a second and ask you, what do you, what do you want out of this? head coaching search process. If you had to kind of script what this process should look like from your perspective, what does that look like? Um, you know, I think it would be good if he has some consideration for the Snyder tree, but a willingness to maybe go outside the Snyder tree. Basically, I just want him to find the best available coach out there to take the job. Yeah, and I think I think if I had to add to that, I, for me, you know, you know me, Doug, that I I don't really get into recruiting like you do, but I get into coaching searches like I love this time of year, and now it's finally here, happening in my school, and it's kind of weird. Like I don't know that I enjoy it more or less than I don't think I enjoy it more. I think I enjoy it less than any other year when I get to fantasize about. Oh yeah, this guy's resume looks like it's gonna look really good over here. But that all being said, you know, as fans, we all have our own personal sort of hot boards or preferences or, or leaders in the clubhouse, whatever you want to say. And um, for me, what I would want out of this process is throw that all out the door, really. And I want to make sure that Gene Taylor is looking at this as objectively as possible, kind of echoing what you said about, yeah, acknowledge the Snyder tree. Yeah, look outside of it. But I don't want the guy to host three interviews and make some decision like in like 
three or four days. You don't want them to take too long either and end up having to settle for Charlie Weiss, right? But I just want him to vet candidates because, yes, on the outside, there are some people that I think would be great hires. But you get them in that interview room and you start asking the questions you think are valuable to the program, to the university, to what you think a head coach is, Gene Taylor. And if it doesn't fit, only he's going to know those conversations. Only he's going to hear those and that's what I want out of the process is just to know that he has, and I don't know if there's a magic number. I guess I'll say like half a dozen, six maybe. He's got to interview at least six candidates. I think there's three kind of that separate themselves from the rest right now. But that's not a competent search if he only interviewed those three. That's that's for me what I what I hope. And we may never know. We may never hear exactly how many candidates he interviewed. But um. So if, if specifically, though, if you, you look at it from a head coach perspective, what qualities of a head coach do you think are important in this hire? If you look at it, not necessarily from Gene Taylor's shoes, but the next head coach needs to have what if they're, if they're hired? Um, I, I think proven leadership. Um, I think, for me, it's important that they're they they at least were a head coach um are a head coach currently somebody that can prove that they've been a seat basically a ceo of a football program um, we all understand that, that it's it's a lot more complicated as a head football coach as as opposed to being an assistant coach not all assistants can come in and do the job you have to have a certain mindset so i i ideally would like to have a proven leader that's had some successful uh, at some success at at a head coaching role, and then secondly, I would want whoever comes in to have at least something in their background that had a successful methodology on either side of the ball, offense or defense. I want to see some something that's been proven that's worked um, in the last you know five years or so that they've had they've 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 been on and you know on a staff and it were a coordinator of some sorts. I think those those are the most important to me right now. So I don't want to put words in your mouth, Doug, but you're saying, like, if let's just say a candidate came along and only was a special teams coordinator, is that is <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe not checking some box for you? Or? That's, that's right. That's okay. Exactly. Well, I just wanted, <laughs> wanted to clear that up. <laughs> Wasn't sure if I was paying attention, Ryan. <laughs> Um, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, no, and I, I like that you mentioned the head coaching experience just because in this, like, in this given year, like, this is our year, this is our opportunity, the, it's been a weird coaching search, it hasn't seemed that wild, so I think we have the opportunity to be a little picky like that in this current climate, this current landscape, and so I, why settle for a coordinator if a head coach is, um, available like I, I think I put a lot of value in that experience like that's always one notch better I'm not saying that an assistant can't come in here and be successful because that has to happen at some point you don't ever become a head coach if you don't get to make that jump and I think there's obviously amongst K-State fans there's an asterisk out there for maybe one uh, defensive coordinator out that out there and we'll probably talk about that a little bit here in a second but um, yeah why not like it it's you know, if there are a lot more jobs open, if you're trying to be more competitive, yeah, you might have to kind of think along the lines of 
promoting a offensive or defensive coordinator to head coach, but I think in this given year, I think we have that 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 luxury. So, but I think that kind of sets us up for a good where I wanted to go next with this, and that was just kind of that topic of um, job jumper versus a lifer, and I I think people get hung up on this like. Yeah, we were spoiled. We got to have one guy for 27 seasons. and But, like, look, Penn State and Nebraska are, like, the only other jobs I can think of where you had one head coach that went there for life and then a second followed up and went there for life. And, of course, I'm talking about whoever preceded Joe Paterno in, like, 1867 and um, whoever uh, – who was Nebraska – Tom Osborne and, um, man, Bob Devaney – um, we're kind of back-to-back uh, coaches, but to me, it's not important. I mean, if if we wind up getting a job jumper, and I think we can make a great exhibit about one of the potential candidates, and we'll do that later, but um, if they're here for only, if they're leaving after three years, and it's for a blue blood job, they would have had had to have had like immense success at K-State for the blue blood program to want to poach him. I don't see how that's a negative thing for the university, for one. And the second part, my opinion, is that if you just went through the list of 130 Division One teams, like I guarantee, like I've, I need to just sit down and do this someday, but I doubt more than 20% of the 130 have been at their schools for seven years or more. Like it just, it just doesn't happen. Like it's just not. That's just not the market rate head football coaches don't stay at one place on average for more than probably six years. I mean, look at Cliff Kingsbury. He was a prodigal son and he was only there for six years because at the end of the day, he couldn't get it done. So like, yes, that kind of goes back to like the, would I rather have someone with head coaching experience and assistant? Yes. That's like an extra plus one. Would I rather have someone be a lifer at K-State than only being here for three to five years? Yes. But that's just not realistic. Where do you stand on the the job jumper versus the life lifer debate? I I just what I would reiterate what you said. We've been spoiled for twenty seven years with Bill Snyder. You know, it, I I'm okay if if the guy if somebody comes in here and they jump ship, they're gonna jump ship because they were successful at K State. And if they were successful here, one, let's say the next head coach is, is one of those jumpers. And let's say after three years we've won, you know, we're or at least competing for a Big 12 title. And at that, at the, after that third year and we're, we've competed for the Big 12 title, he decides to leave for a blue blood job that, you know, is down the road. I... I think that all that does is it's proven one that a coach can come in here and prove uh, or win that, and his name is not Snyder. Two, it sets us up for success because if he's if he's gotten our program back to that level, that means he's recruited a lot of great talent to our school, and that means that there's kids out there that are excited to see that purple and white out there and that power cat. Uh, go out there and crush, crush some heads. Ye- so, I, I really, I really think that with a jumper, would it, would it, like you said, would it be great if, if we 
Pitt's pick. Maybe he was going to jump after four years or three to four years, and he ended up staying for his life. That would be great. But it just doesn't happen that often. doesn't happen. And it's rare you find a, a college basketball coach. It's rare you find a coach that stays for a lifetime. And those that are rare that do it are only like to stay where they're at. I really like what you said there about the, um, like, if let's just say it's like a, a ten and three um, type of campaign in that in that third year. Like, yes, there might still be pain involved when that guy leaves, especially if that same guy leaves for a job within the conference. That would hurt. That would hurt a lot. Like, it would suck. But if, but like you said, it would have proved that you can take this job and you can have success, and you don't have to be fill in the blank or Bill Snyder. Like, it's it's a good program at that point. And I think that's a really strong point you hit on. And and so I think with that, Doug, since we've kind of hemmed and hawed around in little different examples, different exhibits, it's time to kind of get into you and I's uh, personal hot boards, personal favorites. Um, I'll let you go first because uh, we, we decided we would share three apiece. And... Um, I came up with a list of six. I think I'm down to six, <laughs> so I will try to try to uh, to come up with unique ones based off of uh, your opposites. So, Doug, if you want to lead the way, who is at the moment who's one of your top picks for the next head coach at Kansas State? I think Neil Brown would be at the one on top uh, top of my list. Current Troy head coach. Uh, he. You know, he's 28 and 14 there. Um, he'd be – he wouldn't be that expensive to get out of that, that job. Um, he's he's really done a really great job at Troy. I think of the candidates out there, from a coach standpoint, he probably would be one of the top, if not the top guy, as far as Nicholas go uh, type of a guy. I think he would – he would bring a true leadership quality that I, you know, that I, I obviously already stated. The current sitting head coach, um, I would like to see him um, at, at least interviewed for the job. Yeah. Sorry, did you have more? I was. Yeah, go ahead and go. Ahead and oh, well, I was gonna say Neil Brown. No, I, I'm actually, I'm glad you picked him because he's not on my list, and he does not. I struggle with this one. He does have a like his record is very impressive though twenty eight and fourteen and he's he's walked into Lincoln Nebraska as well as Death Valley and Baton Rouge and, and pulled off some some great wins um, I think they have they play an exciting brand of football like there's a lot of reasons to say yes for me but the one I can't get over is for me the Sun Belt is the lowest of FBS division and. And I know at some point, like, again, the, like, so what? Um, you know, you had the guy that went went to Louisville. But for me, that's the hang-up I can't get over. Like, I think K-State's a program that we should be plucking out of the – when this – I always thought when this opportunity came up, we should be plucking out of either the Mountain West or the AAC. Like, we should be in position to do that. Now, we don't have that luxury. The, the, the mark is just not quite there at the moment. But – that's my hang-up is the Sun Belt, and um, go ahead and you can you can re-rebuttal if you want to. I just that's that's for me what I can't get over for whatever reason. I think I I think 
yes, it's the Sun Belt. I think he has proven himself well enough um, in in the Sun Belt. Um, he's he's obviously got his program um, going really humming along, and I think you know he, he shouldn't have age play a factor, but at 38, he's young enough. Um, his alma alma mater's UMass, so it'd be really hard to see him leaving for an alma mater type job. Um, it would, I you know I think. I think a year of job on this this coaching carousel. I think a year from now we see him get taken by a bigger bigger name school. You know, I'm not going to lie to myself and say that K State's the biggest name out there. Um, I think we see him get plucked, um, and I, I it would just I I think it's a great opportunity to pick him up, and I I I think he's done enough and had has proven himself against power five opponents in, in LSU and Nebraska gone, gone into their, their territories and won on the, at their level. I think he understands coaching at this level at Texas tech when he was there under Tommy Tuberville. Um, I think, I think it'd be an, an, an interesting hire. Um, it may not be that splash hire though, uh, that the fan base would fall in love with. Well, see, this is what's the fun part about the the coaching search because for me, he feels like it feels like a Tom Asbury hire, where Tom Asbury had great success at Pepperdine, but at the end of the day, it wound up being too big of a differential from Pepperdine to K State. And yes, the apples and oranges comparison, but that's just that's where I'm I'm reluctant to pull the trigger. But I, I totally understand the perspective of. Um, <clears throat> like the buyer's remorse. Like you had, you were there. You were in the market. It's like not picking up Patrick Mahomes when you were one of the first twelve teams or whatever in front of the the Chiefs. You know things like that. There, Aaron Rodgers. All those people that passed on Aaron Rodgers. I can definitely see how how that opportunity could exist. But for me, I'll go with my first candidate, and I guess I'll start with my long shot candidate. Um, just because I think this might help. Uh, put you at ease of who who to go with number two and number three on your end, because I, I doubt okay. this guy's on your list. But for me, Brian Harson is, is I think, is kind of a long shot in someone I'm – that that checks the box for me of that closes that gap. It's not it's not moving up from the Sun Belt. You're moving up from the Mountain West, you know. And uh, you look at his, his coaching um, – first of all, like his moving up the ranks, um, you know, he, he – was an assistant at Texas, but like he took Arkansas State in his first year, uh, won the conference, the Sun Belt, the same Sun Belt. Of course, is only at seven and five, but then he replaces Chris Peterson at uh, Boise State and doesn't exactly, you know, have Chris Peterson success. But he sits at fifty nine and twenty currently, uh, all time record. Brian Harson for me is kind of that. I don't really think that's on the table, but I kind of like the sounds of that. Ryan Harson, huh? Give me one that I have to look up. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. So Brian Harson basically uh, takes the place after you know when everybody the decks chairs were reshuffled when when Dan Hawkins left for Colorado. Chris Peterson gets the job, and then Brian Harson took Chris Peterson's job, and then he kind of goes out. I, I thought, see, I, for whatever reason, I had in my head, I thought he was, I thought he was the offensive coordinator at Auburn before he took the Arkansas State job, but that is not the case. I don't know why my, my mind went there. But, yes, he's uh, currently Boise State's head coach. All right. So that's a name I hadn't heard yet. 
Sounds good. <laughs> good little educational. I uh, had to go to Wikipedia to see who the heck you're talking about. But uh, that's awesome. Uh, I think that's an interesting pick, just looking at his record and what he's done there. Um, they're tied for first year in the Mountain West, so. Yeah, and yeah. I think they, lo- they lost Fresno State in the championship game, I think, in overtime. I think. There's. Again, I shouldn't be using my memory. I should be looking at this. Mm-hmm. But I think the other thing parallels, like, so to recruit to Boise, Idaho, and maybe he's not going to have enough recruiting ties to recruit this area well, but I think the understanding of how to sell Boise, Idaho to people is very similar. And in the, in the culture that exists in Boise, Idaho for this football prog- for that football program, I think is very similar to what... I think you, is very relatable to what Manhattan's like into this fan base and how to how to bring kids in, into there. But yeah, if you don't have much more to to add on to the the Brian Harson, uh, well, I would I would pump the brakes on him not having much, too many ties down here. He did spend a little bit of his career at Texas and Arkansas State, so he's had to have had some some recruiting ties in the Texas area and probably the Arkansas area a little bit. Well, that's so true. I wouldn't I wouldn't say. That. Totally out of the picture as far as understanding how to recruit in this area. Well, um, yeah, who, I like that pick. That was a good one. Who who do you got for for one of your other remaining two out of the three? Um, you know the one I want to get to, but uh, I'm not going <laughs> to go to that person yet. Um, I may not. Like I have a good guess, but <laughs> <laughs> I may actually not, depending on which one you go next. <laughs> Well, you know, after I, I would want my my second option, um, and it's always been this way um, at the beginning of the year. Uh, after listening to your podcast, though, from last week, uh, where you interviewed um, Zach Barnett from, of Football Scoop. Yep, thank you, Zach Barnett. Yep, um, and his his complete and utter, utter dismissal, basically, of Jim Levitt for any viable job. I've it's began. Uh, to me, to second guess. Uh, I will say this, though. I think he would be a hell of a head coach um, if K-State gave him the opportunity. I think he this would be one of those guys that would come here for the remainder of his coaching career. Long. He obviously wants to come here, written it into his contract. He's a heck of a defensive guy. One of the boxes that I have in the qualities as far as the methodology proven on one or the other. Uh, his defenses are really good. Um, their style, obviously, Oregon defense quite up to snuff. But you saw what he did at Colorado in the three years he was at Colorado. Um, he's he's done a lot of great things in his career. I think you you look at him building a program from a trailer to a top twenty five team. Uh, and stuff. I think he knows how to how to get things done, and and he's a guy that obviously wants to come. Yeah, and, and I'll add to that, like you said, look at what he did at Colorado, and then now look at what's happened to Colorado ever since he's left, I think is another way to phrase that. You know, they, they've, they're they a shell of themselves uh, since he's left, and, and they've been a mess, and so that makes you wonder, what does he do for stability for a program? You look at Oregon, who's, who's changed um, leadership a little bit, um, and he... He again has been a stable part over there, and I'll also add I don't, I can't accurately probably timestamp this, but for sure when he was at Colorado, 
maybe still when he was in Oregon, he knows the Kansas Jucos. He has relationships in the Kansas Jucos, and I don't know if, if he became Kansas State's next head coach, would he be that active in recruiting? I think he probably would because I don't think he can get that out of his blood. He probably would make in-home visits and stuff. But there's still definitely, I think, I think, and I have to be, he's the candidate for me that I'm most curious about how he would fill out his staff because of his relationships over his coaching career. I mean, he has NFL ties. He has, um, you know, he has coast-to-coast ties. And he's seen a lot of different styles of play. He's seen a lot of different things. For me, Jim Levitt, I, I mean, I'm with you. The he was, you know, I, I think I once told you if it, the next head coach is not Jim Levitt or Brent Venables, there's a good chance I'll be upset. That <laughs> has actually probably changed. Um, I, I, there is something about this guy that it seems like, again, and it related back to um, Zach's, Zach's interview last week, that the luster's worn off a little bit for me in him, and I don't know why. And that's not to say, though, that if he became K-State's next head coach, would I be disappointed? No. But for whatever reason, he has moved down my list as well. So, number two on my list, unless, Doug, did you have anything else on the Levitt topic that you wanted to hit on? Uh, no. No, I think we covered it. and You know, I think obviously he's got some dirt in his past, and and I think that's what's going to prevent him from getting a head coaching job, unfortunately. So my number two, and I I think Levitt, man, I think if I'm being fair, I think Levitt is, I think he's still my runner-up choice, I think. Um, but just to go somewhere else besides you, um, the, or I, I think, um, I, I kind of like Mike Norvell down at Memphis. Um, again, he's it, it checks that box of I think K State should be shopping in the AAC Mountain West uh, market for this. Like that seems appropriate. Now, of course, that it's also dependent on the given year, and this given year doesn't really necessarily have a lot in those markets. But what I like about him is, I I mean, and the other thing where I will, I will I will caution people to. Too, Sample size is a little small. He's only this is only his second head coaching uh, season. Now, all indications are pointing up, but I would probably tend to want at least three three seasons in. I think you can get a better sample size that way. But nonetheless, it's, it still is pointing in the right direction. He was able to take over for uh, Jason Fuente, uh, who left for uh, Virginia Tech, which. You know, I think that's a pretty good parallel. I think there's a lot of parallels you can draw between the program of Virginia Tech and Kansas State's program. Um, you know, basically the history is based off of one coach. The history is focused around special teams. So for me, Mike Norvell makes a lot of sense. And um, Ian Boyd for SB Nation wrote a piece on, uh, on for SB Nation about um, – Mike Norvell, and he kind of talked about how unique of his spread principles are um, that actually include the tight end uh, regularly. And so he he sort of tweeted out um, a link to the to his story, but he says, "Are are we sure Mike Norvell isn't the best fit for the K State job?" And he goes in and explains the Mike Norvell's tight end inclusive spread offense. So I would encourage the listeners to go out and and read his piece, but. 
Doug, your reactions to Mike Norvell? <laughs> uh, I will. Um, he would be, what is he, the, the youngest probably of, of on the coaching hot boards, on the multiple sites that are out there that have coaching hot boards. Mm -hmm. he's, he's at 37, so uh, fairly young. Originally from Texas, so some connections down in Texas for the recruiting ties. Coached uh, for years um, down at Tulsa. Um, so you feel like he probably has some good connections at Oklahoma, so it kind of checks the boxes for the two recruiting uh, areas that we would want to try to pull from at K-State. Uh, so I think he he has, he has would be an interesting pick. I think he's had best. Obviously, I think he obviously checks off one of the other boxes of having success uh, as a coordinator at one side of the ball, um, and that's, that's the offense and, and what he's been able to do. Uh, as an offensive-minded coach. With that in mind, before we go to our third pick, uh, Grant, as we're going through our picks uh, and, and what you're looking at is offensive-minded head coaches or head coaches more defense, or is it vice versa? I think just, you know, these coaching searches or hires tend to be cyclical, right? Or, um, you know, you kind of, like, react like opposite of what you had, I think I would tend to want a defensive coordinator um, because I think, okay, so take a look at like Cliff Kingsbury and how his career didn't end up panning out at Texas Tech. There's no doubt that that guy's not a great offensive coordinator, but I almost feel like it's easier to find a guy like Cliff Kingsbury to come in and do crazy offensive things. And for whatever reason, I just kind of feel like, you know, Maybe it's maybe it's a metaphor or like a symbolism of like think of like a linebacker making sure everybody's lined up in the right position. They're more about like making sure things are in the right places, and I think those qualities probably tend to. I might just be kind of speaking out of my butt and maybe maybe getting too too out there, but I, I feel like whereas you know an offensive person wants control of everything and wants to just go go go, I just feel like. A defensive person might be a better like manager. I don't know. I, I think I want. I would rather have a defensive uh, someone who came up from the defensive side personally. That'd be a better delegator, maybe on the defensive side. That's what your analogy is saying. You know, I I I've I've wondered this as as the coaching search goes on. What I would want, and you know, we've seen like you said, good offensive minds come into this league. Uh, Big 12 is what I'm speaking of. Um, you had a Charlie Weiss come in who failed. You have a Cliff Kingsbury who comes in and fails. And you you just wonder, you know, is it great to go out there and get a great offensive mind for your next head coach? I don't think it's – I think it could – I think they could be useful here. Um, but I do worry. I, I – I'm still of the worst defense out there in our league, even though it doesn't look like it every Saturday, where what wins you games. And I think it would be important for us to maybe get a defense. Yeah, and it's it's funny. And now I'm kind of I'm reflecting more uh, as, as, as this has set in a little bit. And the two guys I mentioned, Brian Harson and Mike Norvell, are definitely offensive guys. So I guess I'm being contradictory but um yeah no I I I think I tend to agree with you 
So that sets me up for my third pick, which is an offensive guy. So <laughs> I'll go ahead and uh, go ahead and go down that road that we've been elongating to. Or so um, Seth Luttrell, who, by all in all accounts, by multiple website candidates for the K State job currently. Um, what he would bring to the table would be that offensive mindset. I think his offense is pretty. Uh, pretty powerful, um, pretty um, air raid-ish. Um, having coached at Texas Tech and understanding the Texas Tech landscape and understanding um, the air raid offense that he got to got to coach under at that at that level, um, I think it would be interesting to have him bring in uh, um, have him bring that into K State. Um, I think. My only, my only, just talked about what's more important to you, defense or offense, and uh, my reservation would be um, who he would have as his defensive coordinator, um, and you know whether or not that that guy would would be somebody that he could bring in. Uh, what I thought was interesting, granted, um, I think you're right on the money. I think Levitt of of all the coaches out there on the coaching hot boards. Levitt would probably bring in the best staff. Nobody else that could doubt that. Uh, I don't think anybody could argue. Um, my worry is with these younger coaches not having the uh, the, the ties that these uh, like Jim Levitt would have. Um, uh, is is what kind of a staff he would bring in? So that would be my only reservation about Seth Luttrell. I think it would be a home run hire. Uh, I say that, you know, all those bad things about his hire, and then I say it would be a home run hire. I think it would be a lot of youth, uh, a lot of energy. Uh, he's not the youngest for board. Uh, he's at 40, you know. But I think he brings in a lot of energy um, that would infuse into the K-State. It would be exciting in press conferences. I think he would be um, for the recruits to interact with. I think he would do really good recruiting the areas that he's good in, in Oklahoma, being a native of Oklahoma and uh, um, for several years now. I, I think he would be he would be a fun hire. Um, and I think a lot, of, a lot of K-State fans would be happy with him. Yeah, so for me, Seth Luttrell kind of goes full circle on a couple things we we hit on in this podcast which is uh now nearing the hour mark but um for one the the dan youngman uh the miracle manhattan documentary okay so like first three years on the job snyder like the clips they showed of him answering questions by the press i think that's this very similar attitude that seth luttrell has from what I've seen of him. He just kind of has this edge to him. Not too not too much where it's like abrasive. But it's like you don't dare talk down about my team or doubt what we can accomplish. And I, and I like that. Now, um, gone from veneer, if Seth Luttrell comes in, are probably going to be the suit coats because he's a boots and jeans guy. <laughs> this is famous quote. But um, but there's, there's that. And... Um, it goes back to, you know, I made the comment about it's either Venables or Levitt or I'm upset. This is an example of why I hope Gene Taylor does make sure or or has done his research and, and, and has like at least six candidates. Because this never came up 
Doug until a couple weeks ago before we, um, like when we were tailgating, we never once thought about this, but this guy by all accounts, like does seem like the real deal, checks a lot of boxes. Um, I, you know what? I think he absolutely understands the value of a good K-State program having been the fullback uh, in 2001 for Oklahoma, like, he gets it. He understands what, how awesome it is to play in our stadium. He gets all those little things. And we, we circle back around to that job jumper versus lifer. That's the only job he's going to leave for. But I'm not convinced that um, Lincoln Riley's not going to be at Norman, Oklahoma for a long time. And it's not a foregone conclusion either. He could fall in love with the place too. Like, everybody, like, yes... He's probably more likely to go back to his alma mater and stay at my school. But it's not like there's a 0% chance of that happening. So Seth Luttrell really is the appealing appealing candidate. It's really hard not to look at it and, and kind of scale some things up. Um, now, he's kind of in between. I would put Conference USA out of the group of five, you know, behind the two conferences I kept talking about. But definitely in front of the MAC and Conference USA. I think they're – or the MAC and the Sun Belt – I think they're kind of middle of the road like that. And I did look up their defensive stats. They were sixth in their conference. They have a 14-team conference in Conference USA. Um, so kind of middle of the pack in total defense. And um, so, yes, I, I too, like you, like I hope he keeps, if he comes to K-State, I would love, I hope Seth Dagey comes with him. Um, or Wait, did I get that? I think I'm making up the wrong tech quarterback. Who's the Graham Harrell? Uh, offensive coordinator, who he brings, but I too, like you, I'm very interested in understanding like who he's going to bring in as a defensive coordinator. I think that, of course, I can't be unbiased if you heard my anecdote earlier in the show about uh, a defensive coordinator, so I, I can't really insert opinion here. Um, but, but Doug, yeah, that's I, I'm with you. I'm all in on the the Seth, Seth Latrell train, and I think he's probably my number one as well. But for the sake of transparency, I unless you have something to add, I, I'll go on to another candidate. Yeah, yeah. i add one more thing on Seth Luttrell, and how poetic would it be just when we stole from uh, North Texas uh, with a game drive, and we would steal probably one of their best coaches for a long time um, if Seth Luttrell didn't come to K-State. Very, very poetic, if you will. And this might be, like, maybe only the third or fourth time we've dropped Zach Barnett's name on this podcast <laughs> uh, from last week's episode. But um, knowing how close he is to the North Texas program, um, again, I will try to leave a link in the description uh, below this podcast. If you are if you found it through the homepage of com, and I forgot once again to shout out a thanks to Fitz and his crew for letting us have this opportunity. Um Seth wrote a great piece on it's basically convincing people how the job jumper is not a bad thing. He knew Seth Luttrell was going to be the real deal. He wrote this uh, two, three years ago when Seth Luttrell was hired at North Texas. I encourage everybody to go read that piece because it, it's it's just spot on, and I think it's very relatable for K-State fans. Hire this guy and don't worry about how long he is or is not at Kansas State. So with that, I will go for the final candidate. And um, I think I owe it to K-State fans. I, honestly, I've let go of this one I'll probably, well, since interviewing Zach. Like, and when he, he came out publicly at the Clemson press conference, 
Brent Venables, the prodigal son, the linebacker who played uh, under Jim Lovett, who played with Kirby Hocutt uh, down at Texas Tech, the AD down there. Um, look, I just don't think it's going to happen. It makes so much sense for so many reasons. But at this point, if you don't believe that this guy just doesn't really want to become the head coach, always wants to be the bridesmaid, kind of likes this gig as defensive coordinator and being played pretty well, I I think you're wasting a lot of time and emotion uh, and fooling yourself that you think this is still an opportunity. But... You know, if we're gonna if we're gonna look at it in a vacuum and look at it in, in fantasy land, like God, this guy just makes so much sense for so many reasons. Uh, great recruiter, he's plucked some of the best talent out of Kansas uh, once or twice to go play at Clemson. Um, but Brent Venables, I mean, it's and it's not just because he's because Clemson is the program; it is what it is right now. It's also because of what Oklahoma did under his tutelage. I mean, we've seen what that defense has turned into after Brent Venables left, but Doug, I just don't personally see value in spending a whole lot of time talking about this guy because I just don't see it happening. But tell me tell me what maybe you like or don't like about the prospect of a Brent Venables hire. Well, I think, I think he checks off, you know, the box of being successful on one side of the ball or the other. Um, I think he brings a lot of energy. I think he would be great. Um, I think the fan base would be just ecstatic with this hire. But my reservations all come in at the same level yours does. He's been successful for how many years now? And he's had opportunities in, quote-unquote, been interviewed by colleges. And they've either moved on to different candidates or he hasn't. he's decided to stay where he's at. You never know what what really is going on there, but it doesn't seem like, you know, this is going to be the prodigal son returning. I think he's happy and fine where he's at. Um, as far as his son and his promise to his son, look, he he would be able to bring his son to K State and still coach his son at K State. I mean, I don't I don't put a lot of credence into that, but um, maybe his son really likes Clemson and really wants to stay at Clemson. I don't know. But I think, I think he, he for whatever reason, he's not going to probably be the next head coach at K State, much to the chagrin of probably um, a good chunk of our fan base. Yeah, and I mean, I gave up on the, I, I don't know, maybe it was damage control, maybe he was trying to just like hedge off <laughs> being disappointed or something, long ago. But I just the writing on the wall. I mean, the Clemson pressers, what just put it, just like basically extinguished it for me once and for all and it I was kind of hanging on by a thread anyway up until that point but is his son currently a freshman because you talk about transfer rules like you would hate to if he is a freshman right now you would hate to move the family and you also have to remember like yes we all love K-State like for me my mom went there I grew up here I told you the story about being indoctrinated into football like getting in at the ground floor of this success but if he's 18 years old and, you know, that means he spent 10, 10 years in Oklahoma and eight years in South Carolina. Like, he could have fallen in love with Clemson football from the very first game he went there. So that's his dream. We can't do anything about that. So, um, yeah, I, we had some other topics we, we might touch on in this podcast, but 
due to time and Doug, I know you've got a flight coming up uh, tomorrow. Probably shouldn't just keep going on and on. I'll let you close with some any coaching search thoughts, but I did just want to briefly say, you know, this is Tuesday, December 4th. Uh, hopefully when this gets uploaded <laughs> Thursday, this isn't too dated of references, but um, hopefully Gene Taylor doesn't hire somebody by then because then this podcast will be here. <laughs> but um, uh, Alex Delton announces he's transferring today, and then, of course, the basketball team struggled uh, out on the road against Marquette. But, Doug, if you wanted to comment on any of those or just kind of tie a bow on the coaching search hot board topic, the floor is all yours. Yeah, I think uh... – I'll go ahead and tie a bow and, and then touch on both of those. Uh, the uh, the coaching search, I think Gene Taylor is going to do a good job. Uh, I think he was obviously brought in here for this specific job of hiring the next football coach, uh, even though probably many of us thought he was going to have to hire two coaches uh, while he while, when he came in. Uh, but he, I think he's going to do the right thing. Um, I do like the fact that he basically sent out a statement and said, Hey, don't even ask me any questions. Uh, I'll let you know when the, when the search is done. Um, I think he's very focused and I think he will be objective in who he picks for, uh, the next K-State head coach. Uh, as far as Alex Delton, uh, moving on, um, I thought, what he did on Twitter was class act. Um, he thanked the K-State fans, uh, said that, you know, he'll always be a part of a, part of our family, and I think he will. Um, he graduated, or he's going to graduate in January. Um, he's, he's moving on to a different school uh, for that graduate transfer rule. I don't blame him. Um, he's... Uh, he's put his blood, sweat, and tears into our program the last four years. And, um, you know, watching him play against KU, uh, watching him play against um, Texas Tech. I'm sorry, not Texas Tech. Um, but watching him play against KU. And that second that second half where he just came in and was the battering ram for our offense and, and really won that game for us. Um, I, you know, th- those are the things that, We'll never be able to say thank you to him for in person. Um, and obviously he's not going to listen to this podcast, yeah. but thank you, Alex Delton, for your time. Well, and, and not uh, before you okay. hit on the basketball team, the, you know, and then obviously the the, the Cactus Bowl was something else uh, for him as well. I just, yeah, this was a Kansas-born kid, and uh, you wished it would have maybe turned out a little differently, but, uh, yeah, I don't blame the kid either. Yeah, it's easy – easy for me in these situations to take my fan hat off and tip it in the direction of, yeah, go get yourself some more playing time somewhere else and, and, and use that, that rules there for a reason. So go use it. And then lastly, the, the basketball team and their struggles at a uh, Marquette, it was a tough game to watch um, to say the least. Uh, our, our, our team was just, I don't know, flat is the way I would I'd probably describe it. Uh, we were still in the game, what was, which is what was crazy about it. Now, we didn't play uh, that well. Foul trouble was abound, and yet we were still kind of in the game. Uh, that was a mark of a good team. I think K-State's going to bounce back from it. I think on the road, refs were calling the game tight, and the the team just didn't seem like they could bounce back or, or adjust um, to the way the game was being called. So... I think we'll be fine. I think 
if anything, it was a good time of year to lose. Uh, we lose early. Hopefully that, that injects some energy uh, into the upcoming games and obviously before conference play. Uh, to lose a, a tough road, true road game like that um, shouldn't hurt our resume too much and gives us an opportunity to get better uh, before the conference starts. Well, Doug, before we sign off, uh, remind the listeners uh, where they can, how they can follow you on t- both Twitter as well as Wabash Station. Um, yeah, so my uh, Twitter handle is EmaRock. Uh, e- that's Ema and then R-O-C-H. Uh, and then I am Cat, R- Cat Rock on the uh, message boards. That's Cat R-O-C. And for myself, GTCat underscore Emadio. So that's E-M-A-W-D-I-O on Twitter and GT cat on Wabash station guys. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for making it all the way to the end of this marathon of a podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. It's, uh, it's exciting times. Uh, it's, it's time for celebration. Like I said earlier in the show, celebrate what bill has turned this program into this university, our beloved university, the one we love to, to talk about. Um, but that'll do it for this episode. Until next time, peace out. Ema, everybody.